Today's Animal Spirits is brought to you by our friends at YCharts. YCharts does a monthly market wrap. So they just did this one for June. It's just a monthly blog where they break down the most important trends and charts. And this is pretty good. I was going through it today. They have index performance, asset class performance, sector performance, and then they have the best stocks. So the best performing stocks of the S&P 500 for June were both cruise ships, Carnival Cruise and Norwegian Cruise Line. And did you see the new? Did you see the new giant cruise ship? Yes, and I think I'm going to go Michael Burry on this and go against the grain because everyone is dunking on this thing, saying this looks awful. None of these people have ever been on a cruise before. I would be one of these people if I hadn't been on three cruises in my life and enjoyed each one of them. I think a cruise is a lovely time that people who've never been on one dunk on uh, unreasonably. You know, I was going to zag too. I've I've never been on a cruise, but I'd it's be happy. Fun. To go, I'd be happy to go on one. What? I don't understand the dunk on cruises. What's bad about a cruise? Here's Sounds what you great. get on a cruise. They have a casino on board. You get to eat as much as you want. The food's good. It's better than like an all-inclusive place. Uh, you could drink a bunch. And then they have shows every single night. Yeah, There's it sounds tons awful. of stuff to do. It's great. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I was surprised. Both of those uh, Carnival Cruises what is it, up Carnival and, Is it Royal or Norwegian? Uh, Royal Caribbean is up 30%. Royal Caribbean had the biggest one, I think. Uh, anyway, this is really cool. If you want to sign up for this, uh, we'll have a link in our show notes where you can sign up and get the monthly breakdown from them. And then you can kind of click through and go to the charts. And if you want to, subscribe to White Charts and you haven't done so yet, tell them Animal Spirit sent you 20% off that initial sign up. Welcome to Animal Spirits, a show about markets, life, and investing. Join Michael Batnick and Ben Carlson as they talk about what they're reading, writing, and watching. All opinions expressed by Michael and Ben are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Ritholtz Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Ritholtz Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome to Animal Spirits with Michael and Ben. Michael, we don't do victory laps here, okay? Because we've been wrong about plenty of stuff over the years. You know what we've been right about? What have we been right about? Tropical Bros. This, This shirt is a couple of days late. But I did rock it on July 4th. You, you, you damn right I did. Well, that is a tropical pros. Of course it is. Okay. How great we're, is this? We're working on the animal spirits ones. We should have them back within days, hopefully by next week. We'll, we'll, all right. Let so, know. so back to the victory lap. What were we, what were we right about? All right. Well, so I wrote about this. It's not, not necessarily even being right. It's just looking at a range of possibilities and like having a baseline set of expectations. So I wrote this on October 2nd, 2022, how I'm getting long term bullish. And I, I said, my general lesson philosophy is the more bearish things feel in the short run, the more bullish I should be over the long run. Even though I said at the time, like I, I personally feel bearish. So I looked at, and I, I'm sure, pretty sure we talked about it on this show, what happens when the S&P 500 is down 25% or worse since 1950? And then the same thing, what happens to the NASDAQ is down 30% or worse since 1971? I looked out one, three, five, and 10 years and said, hey, from these 25 and 30% declines, things are pretty good, even though there have been times when we've gone way past that. We've gone can way just, further down than 25 or 30. Can I interrupt? Mm-hmm. Thank you. It's your thing? <laughs> I would love for there to be an animal spirits fear and greed index over time. Uh, like, honestly, because I feel like I started to get bullish in the fall, but I honestly, I don't even remember. And when I say tr- get, get bullish, I'm not, this is not, we don't invest bullish bearish swing to cash but just you know just for the sake of discourse right so since then if i went from the end of because i did these numbers through the end of third quarter which was september 30th since then the nasdaq is up 38 percent. the s&p is up almost 25 percent. and it's again not to like and the funny thing is the s&p did fall almost exactly 25 percent. that was like the that was kind of the bottom we're, we're now Let's see, on a total return basis, less than 6% away from all-time highs for the S&P, less than 9% away from all-time highs for the NASDAQ. And the point isn't here to say, ha, we, we were right. It's to say that like, when stocks fall a lot like this, like when is a better time to buy? That, and, and it never feels like it at the time because, again, it, it, it felt good to be bearish at that point, to be like, okay, inflation is getting worse and, and a recession is right around the corner. And like stocks could roll over more. And then you have the people say, well, what about Japan? And what if the stock market never comes back? I just think if that's always going to be your baseline and you're never going to feel safe buying in bear markets, like that, that, that's, the, that's the time to do it. You're going to be in trouble if that's your default. 
Yes. I'm just saying like that, if that's your baseline, that, that's, that's pretty good. Well, in bear markets, you have to be able to say things are scary right now. News might get worse. Stocks might fall more, but you know what? I have to buy. I have to buy anyway. I think most people, generally most people do that. So we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Older investors are having a higher equity allocation. The Wall Street Journal had another follow-up on this. Half of Vanguard 401k investors who are actively managing their money and over 55 held more than 70% of their portfolios in stocks. So I think that's taking away like target date funds. In 2011, only 38% did. At Fidelity, nearly 4 in 10 investors, 65 to 69, hold two-thirds nice. or more of their portfolio in stocks. Uh, One-fifth of investors 85 or older have nearly all their money in stocks and taxable brokerage accounts at Vanguard, up from 16% in 2012. The same is true of almost a quarter of those 75 to 84. And we, we talked about some of the reasons for this, but isn't this just the kind of thing where for every age group, eventually this is going to happen? Where it's Meaning going what? to Like your al allocation to equities is going to drift higher over time. I think for, for a lot of people. As you get older, even? I think people are coming around to the idea that, I mean, unless 5% rates are here to stay forever and people just, just find that easier, I think people, the longer you invest in the stock market, the more you realize that that's your best bet for growing your wealth. Yeah. I think that's, that's a huge component. I do, I do strongly believe that the other is that interest rates were at zero. And so there will be some sort of equilibrium. Uh, I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I do think the, the, the broader point is this. People have learned that stocks are the only game in town for retirement accounts to build long-term wealth. Right. And I think the other, the other group would be just real estate investors, people who think that either owning a home or buying real estate, that's probably the, the, that'd be the second one for most people, even though those, the surveys don't really show that. That's probably where people have their money. All right. So away from retirement accounts... And the set and forget it. And by the way, going back to you have to buy, I'm not suggesting that you should be sitting on cash waiting to pounce. Right. Like that's not how you should invest. When I say you have to buy, I mean you have to just automatically buy. You just have to keep a, the program going. And also, and I the, think the only way to do that is to automate it. Yes. And, and maybe the other thing is just when stocks are down 20% or something, that's not the time you get, okay, I'm going to get defensive and I'm going to go to swing to cash or whatever it is. That, that's, that's the problem when people do something like that. That's such a good point. It's more important. You don't need to be uh, a hero. And let's say that you pause your investing because you are scared. All right. You know, probably not the best thing to do. In fact, it's not the best thing to do. But it's nowhere near as bad as the inverse, which is I want safety. I'm going to go to cash. Give me that help. is that's yeah. that's how you that's how you, you f yourself. All right. Um, all right. So Jeez. going back. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Going so away from retirement accounts, long term stuff to more. Let's zoom in, Ben. What do you say? We double click. Okay. Uh, all right. U.S. retail flows. This is from I believe this is oh this is from J.P. Morgan. Uh, rolling twenty day average. This is single stocks. People are getting bullish. People are getting bullish. And why shouldn't they? And, and when I say why shouldn't they, I don't mean I'm not talking. I'm not making forward predictions. I'm just saying when stocks rally, people get bullish. Unfortunately, that's just what happens, right? People chase. People chase. People I guess chase. I've never I've never seen this for single stocks before. This is kind of this is you'd ex, you'd expect to see a lot of volatility here, and, and it and it makes sense. This this is the kind of graph that looks like it kind of follows the market, right? Totally. The market goes down, people stop buying individual stocks. The market goes up, they start buying it. it. That that makes sense from a risk management perspective or a risk profile perspective. But it's not just single stocks. Look at look at the ETFs, massive inflows. I don't know what month this was exactly, but. All right, so retail's back, and you would say, uh-oh, ring the bell, ring the bell. Actually, not so fast. Ben, last week we were talking about the smart money being fixed income or whatever. Um, Wall Street Journal via Bank of America. This is a great, great chart. Okay, they look at the subsequent four-week returns in the S&P 500 after four consecutive weeks of inflows. And they break that down by hedge funds, institutional, and retail. And the TLDR is this. Retail investors have been similar positive indicators to hedge funds. So take your dumb money and shove it where the sun don't shine. So if you, so if you did four weeks of positive flows, what were the returns after that? That's what they're looking Correct. at here? Correct. Okay. 
and then four weeks of negative flows. So the returns are better after positive flows. That makes sense to me. It's the like momentum. momentum. Yeah, momentum. Yeah. It's kind of a momentum thing, right? So anyway, that's really interesting. If all you knew was where, how institutions, hedge funds, and retail were allocating, if you think that you would be able to like find any sort of signal in there, guess what? Wrong. I remember uh, my, my brother asked me once, uh, do you think that I should invest on like Thursday every other week because people's 401k money goes what in an on idiot. Friday? Everyone knows <laughs> Wednesday is the best day to invest. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't think the days of the week probably matter all that much. But there, is, this, is there a seasonality component to this? Because you've talked about seasonality in the past. Is there a best is, day? I'm sure that someone has done the study of, is there a best I did, day of the week I did, I did. I did probably 10 years ago. Did you really? Yeah. It, it probably wasn't Monday, right? It probably had to be like a Tuesday or a Wednesday. No, I, I think it was random. I mean, what do you think? It was random. Okay. Uh, okay. Delta One, Walter Bloomberg, allegedly. Is he on threads that, yet? You ever meet that guy at a conference? <laughs> <laughs> I've never followed him. I, I, I don't know. Didn't, um, too, it's too much. So he tweets these upgrades, downgrades every morning. And sometimes I look, sometimes I don't. But this one, this one made me laugh a little bit. Uh, this is Netflix. I guess it caught my eye because it's a stock that I own. This is from Goldman Sachs. All right. Now, mind you, the, the current price of Netflix is $433. Okay. Goldman Sachs upgrades to neutral from sell. Now, a sell rating is relatively rare. It's usually like buy or hold. So the upgrade, so to have a sell rating, you got to really be bearish. They upgraded uh, to neutral and they raised their price target from 230 to 400. So think about this. They basically increased their price target by 100%, which is still five or 6% below where the stock currently is. And they, they call that neutral. Your thoughts. Yeah. I don't know. Not not surprising to me. I suppose this is kind of how the the you never want to admit you're wrong. First of all, obviously. Do you know Do you know how far Netflix is from all time highs still? I, I mean, I know they're down seventy some percent. They're still well below all time highs. Very well. This is how the math works. We were t we were joking 37%. yesterday. Still thirty seven percent. Carvana is having a decent year. The stock is up six hundred thirty percent. And it's still a 90% drawdown, <laughs> which is wild. It all depends on, yeah, where you're looking for when you, when you invested. So here's, what, here's, what, here's a, a snippet of the commentary that Carl Quintanilla pulled. Netflix, from Goldman, Netflix management has executed its password sharing initiative in excess of our prior assumptions. And overall industry competition has become more muted. Since we added Netflix to the sell list on June 10th, 2022... Netflix shares are up 135% versus a 12% gain for the S&P 500. I've, I've told this story before, but my very first internship in the markets was with sell-side research analysts. I worked for two different sell-side research analysts. I was a senior in college. I knew nothing about the markets. The first day, the guy's like, dude, start reading the Wall Street Journal because you don't know anything. And But I learned a lot about how incentives work because I remember they'd have once a month, they'd have a big meeting with all of the different industry people for the different stocks. And the guy who was the manager would go through and be like, we have 135 buys, uh, 316 holds, and three sells. And he'd like throw his hands up in the air and be like, guys, come on, can someone put a sell rating on one of these stocks? And all these analysts were like, no way, man, we got to talk to the management all the time. We don't want to have a sell rating because, so I learned so much about how incentives work and how like the changing of your mind thing. And it's, it's a tough, so I, I think any time you're reading these research analyst reports, like they're great for, like a deep dive in the company, but I think if you're using the price targets or the the recommendations, that throw those out the window, basically. Yeah, you, that's a great point. You can learn a ton from these reports and then just ignore the conclusion unless it confirms your priors. Then and go then, with it. then go with it. All right. So, are we going to have a really low inflation print this month, or the used car is not going to hit it yet? Uh, inflation. Use this, what, Carl. Continue again. Used used vehicle year over year price decline, second largest ever, fell ten point three percent from a year ago. This is great news, but I'm never getting out of my Audi. How many years old is it now? <laughs> uh, four. Well, one of the one of the reasons I was able to get a decent deal on my new Explorer is because I still had equity in my old one. So maybe I top ticked the used car market. 
Did we do this joke before? I bought it. Yeah, I bottom tech Netflix and I top tech the car market. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. All right. All right. Travel boom is still on. TSA. This is July 1st. Yesterday, TSA officers nationwide screened 2.8, almost 2.9 million individuals, beating our previous record on the Sunday after Thanksgiving in 2019. This is the highest number of passengers the agency has ever screened on record. Ever? Ever. Highest screening ever. Hey, can I, can I say something? I was thinking about this as I was on the airplane. You know how the pre-flight videos are such a charade? Right, like in case well, the of worst part about it is, if you're watching a movie, it pauses your movie. Yeah, it's just it's a it's it's a joke. But here's an even bigger joke: how if you're in the exit aisle, you have to give a verbal yes. Like in the event, will you help? Yes. Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. No problem. I'll, I'll help. Can we just save everybody's time? If you just eliminated all of the nonsense, how many hours would passengers get back? How about this? You know how they have global- no more no more flight delays, no more flight delays ever. Just get rid of the, the nonsense. Well, you know how they have TSA pre-check. Let's say if you've gone through TSA pre-check, you can watch a video that shows all the safety procedures and click a box and say, "I've done this already." You can ignore. You can. I can safely ignore it on my screen. Solutions guy. All right, all right. Travel boom is not at Disney. Maybe this is the time to go. Wall Street Journal. Uh, headline says, Disney World hasn't felt this empty in years. Travel agents, analysts, and advisors say traffic at Disney's theme parks uh, and rival parks has slowed. Data from a travel company that tracks line waiting times at Disney shows the Independence Day weekend was one of the slowest in nearly a decade. The Star Wars attraction was the third slowest day of the past year. Uh, here's what a travel agent says. From what we're seeing in our bookings, that pent-up demand has somewhat transitioned from cr- to cruises in Europe from theme parks. So everyone got Disney out of their system, and now Disney is slow. This would be the time to go, I not guess. Not me. Not me. Look, can I just say one? Could, could the news be any worse for Disney right now? It really could. I was thinking this, too. The, there was a Josh sent us a report on ESPN how they had these huge layoffs a week ago. They're cleaning house. Disney really is in a bad spot, it seems like. All right. So as, as shareholders of the stock, how are we feeling? Not great. Maybe this is the time to get long-term bullish, though. We said when we feel the most bearish, that's but that that's a lot of harder for individual I'm, stocks than it is for. I'm just saying, technically, the stock if, if it breaks 85, unless it's a false breakdown, beware the false breakdown. It could be it could be in trouble. But is I don't Disney know. Is, too is, big is it su- for someone to buy? Is that is the only hope? Is it sufficiently cheap? Uh, well, Needham put out a note this morning. Again, listen. You never, you never pay attention to what the sell side says unless it makes you feel good about a stock that you're underwater on. This is what we're trying to say. Yes. So Needham said, we do believe Disney will be purchased during the next three years. Disney owns the best assets in the media business, has no controlling shareholder to block a takeover, and has no permanent CEO or CFO that has a conflicting agenda versus public shareholders. So, I don't know. The crazy thing with Disney is, remember how I was like really bullish on the company because of Disney Plus. And I said, Disney Plus is going to be huge. And whatever, you nailed Disney Plus. Whatever got estimates the stock, they the laid out. Wrong. They, yeah, whatever estimates they laid out for Disney Plus, they blew through those. Like, yeah. it was way higher than they ever thought possible. Yeah, and the, and the stock still stunk. I think I think we're going to Disneyland. I don't know if this is too ambitious, if we're biting off more than we could show. I think we're taking the boys to Disneyland in California in April because the boys like every other child, is obsessed with Mario. Oh, because so, they have that there? No, Universal Studios is Mario Land. Looks okay. pretty sweet. Why did you just hide in California instead of Florida? Mario Land. First of all, I'm not going back to Disney World. That's too much. I just did that. Okay. But Mario World is in Universal Studios, uh, California. That's why. So you're going exclusively for that? Yes. Okay. I mean, but we'll also, you know, we'll also do Disney World, uh, Disneyland and the Harry Potter thing, which I'll be into. Wait, you're a Harry Potter guy? That kind of blows me away. Huge. Really? Yes. Okay, well, my daughter, my daughter right I, well, now I is- mean, I, In the time, when, when, when did those books, what was that, 2000? I mean, I read them da- all when, when they came my out. My daughter's flying through those books right now. And the, what, whatever book she's on right now, it's like the fifth book in the series or something. It's like 837 pages. It's ridiculously long. Oh, yeah. You want to know a little fun, you want to know a little fun fact, Ben? The only, the only double feature- that I've ever been to in my life, and I'm looking for the movie right now, was, was, uh, hold on, bear with me. Oh, it was 2001. Wait, was this it? Yeah. I saw, this is such a weird movie for me to see in 2001. I was 16 years old, two and a half hour drama romance. I saw Harry Potter, the first one, with my mom, 
and the Majestic, a Jim Carrey movie. Do you uh, remember that one? I remember that one. That uh, didn't really land the plane. It was okay, right? He had amnesia. In 1951, a blacklisted Hollywood writer gets into a car accident, loses his memory, and settles down in a small town where he was mistaken for a long-lost son. Weird premise. Anywho, I thought this was an Harry interesting Potter trait. horror movies for you, huh? Two nights ago, I was watching the 101 scariest scenes in Shudder. And Robin's like, what are you doing? <laughs> Actually, Robin, I made Robin watch Barbarian with me. I didn't make her, but we turned it on. And we, we, she's like, come on. Is that the one that I ruined at the end for people? With Justin Long? Yeah. That was okay. That was not bad. That was pretty good. Loved it. All right. Justin Wolfers tweeted, let me point out the obvious. Tech bros were wrong about what was happening, even just in their corner of the universe. So he's got a chart showing the number of jobs in computing infrastructure providers, data processing, web hosting, and related services. And there's been no dip. I do wonder if there's some... if. Again, I don't know enough here. Is he, was there some omissions here? But anyway, the, the TLDR is he's saying tech layoffs. There's no tech layoffs. Well, maybe maybe it was in different types of jobs. So this is this is from, let's see, Wang on Twitter. Big tech companies have resumed their hiring based on job openings. Total job openings for Google, Amazon, Microsoft, and Facebook are up 100%, 40%, 85%, 162% percent since the end of Q1, although they're still down a fair amount from a year ago. So there, there, you can see there was a drop here. For jobs, maybe it's just more. Uh, it's not tech tech based jobs, but it's more like managerial type of right. jobs. But they're they're all hiring again, so they th- thought the recession was coming. They pulled back, or there was a tech recession. There was. Now they're, now they're yeah. I think yeah. I don't know. I, I don't. Know if, I don't know if I buy this chart. It feels like there was a tech recession. But speaking of things that tech people got wrong, Jack Dorsey in October 2021. Sure, a lot of people will remember this. Hyperinflation is going to change everything. It's happening. These takes were these these takes were just really awful in real time and have aged like a fine diaper. Do you think it's helpful or hurtful to know that billionaires can also have dumb takes? Like because in some ways people go, oh, "I'm sm- in this one realm, I'm smarter than a billionaire." Or do you think people think like, "Well, I should be a billionaire too because I'm obviously smarter than this guy in some in some capacity." Yeah, we're all humans. I don't know. This is fair. You know, what else he, you know what else he kind of yeah, dropped the ball on? Uh, his successor at Twitter. Didn't quite handle that very well. Although, we're, we're going to talk about threads, but... All right, let's put a pen in this. All right. From Bespoke, streaks of better-than-expected non-farm payrolls report is over. In other words, economists were behind the actual... Consensus was below actual. And that ended. 14 months in a row, they were behind. Pretty incredible. Yeah, it was under expectations, but still pretty good job report. Joey Politano breaks it down. It's kind of interesting to see where the jobs have been added. So he said the U.S. has added 3.8 million jobs in the last year. Seems like a lot. A million in health and health services and private education, 800,000 in leisure and hospitality, 600 in government and public education, all these other things. Uh, it's just interesting to see this breakdown, especially so far from the pandemic that we're still adding all these leisure and hospitality jobs. I don't know. It's... This has to obviously slow at some point, but I think it's safe to say that this expansion in, in the labor market has gone on longer than anyone could have thought possible. Pretty wild. I, I was looking, there was a, a, re, a recent Larry Summers speech from like June 2022, where he said, look, the, the, inf- the unemployment rate has to be above 5% for like three years to bring inflation down. Like, I, I think that playbook they were working on in terms of like unemployment rate has to rise for the inflation to come down, because that's all that we knew in terms of historical Here's a analogs. Take. The pandemic uh, ripped up all the textbooks, everything, all the relationships that we thought had to hold, right? And so the next time something happens, people are going to overcorrect yes. because of what happened this time. So I, I don't think historical data, I don't think historical relationships are dead and buried forever. I do think that there should be some sort of equilibrium between inflation, employment, and interest rates and all that sort of stuff. I just think because of all of the mess that there was a pandemic, all of those relationships are temporarily broken. Because of I how think much will, we spent and- Yes. But I think that the next time something happens, people will overcorrect because of recency bias and it's going to f*** it up. Yeah. You're not going to get the same level of support for, the, especially if it's a mild recession. So maybe those relationships go back in the future, but we're not going to get the same response- or even anything close to it. Probably, I mean, we'll never see a response like this again for a recession, I would imagine. 
In other words, the next time, maybe maybe fiscal stimulus would be the right answer, but we're not going to do it because of the inflation that happened this time, even though a lot of the inflation happened because the economy was shut down and then reopened. It is kind of crazy, though. Look at the prime age labor force participation rate. This is 20, ages 25 to 54. This is prime age. It takes away the people who are older and potentially retiring. It's the highest level it's been since 2001, over 83%, almost 84%. This, this one is crazy. This is from the New York Times. They talk about how the great resignation is Wait, wait, over. hang on, hang on. Don't blow past this real quick. Okay. So what are the implications of this chart? That basically anyone who wants a job can get a job? I think that the thought was in the 2010s, because you can see, look, at it kept going down after 2008 and didn't really stop going down until 2016. There was this thought that I think, oh, people are lazy and th- this is kind of it. We've, we've topped out the number of people who want jobs. Like, there, there are certain people who just want to sit around and play video games all day, and they don't want a job. And I think we've we've shown that if you pay people more money, especially on the lower end, they're gonna they're gonna come back to the labor force and work. And I think that people people thought like, okay, this is this is topped out. We can't go any higher, and that was wrong. And they're they're talking about how this is New York Times average hourly earnings for rank and file restaurant and hotel workers rose twenty eight percent from twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty two, which is higher than inflation and wage growth. And uh, there was this research paper by two economists that found that the earnings gap between workers at the top end of the income scale and the bottom after widening for four decades. Okay, here's the, here's the what do you say it? The coup de gras? There we go. In just two years, the economy undid about a quarter of the increase in inequality since 1980 between the top and the bottom income. What? Much of that progress they found came from workers' increased ability and willingness to change jobs. So all of... Again, the, the pandemic broken all these relationships. There's no way anyone could have predicted that would happen. That workers would have all this, the ability to earn more money and that inequality, like a quarter of the increase in inequality since 1980 was undone in two years. That's amazing. Inflation fixes inequality? Incredible. It is, it is kind of hard to... <laughs> I, thought inflation, I thought inflation hurts people on the bottom rung the lowest, uh, the, the, the most. All right, so we talked about you you talk about like the overcorrection and the next time we have a recession. I think the whole fiscal and monetary policy thing is going to dictate a lot of what happens with relationships. So Lance Lambert said that the average, this is last week, average 30-year fixed rate mortgage jumped to 7.22%. They have this mortgage news daily. I don't know if you ever checked this thing. It shows daily rates. And this is a 30-year fixed rate mortgage. If the Fed keeps raising rates and the economy keeps rocking a little bit, is 8% actually a possibility here now? For, for mortgage rates? I remember I did a Kelsey yeah, bet too, for 8%, yeah, 8% not, not, last year. Like, could mortgages hit 8%? I, I did a yes. I took a flyer, which is crazy to think. So on the other hand, Michael Michael Antonelli and Colin Roche were talking about this on Twitter. Here's Michael Antonelli. I'm con- a take I'm convinced is true. The sub-3% 30-year fixed-rate mortgage will be the greatest gift ever bestowed to you as homeowners. And Colin said, uh, Michael is right for now, but we'll see a sub-3% 30-year mortgage rate within the next 10 years. The whole structure of debt in this economy is predicated on low rates and will pull rates lower at some point, either through crisis or anemic growth. So, Hold on, Ben. Were you able to hear my wife chattering in the background? I, I was not. What is, she, okay. what is she asking you? Did she ask you to change your shirt? No, no, no. I just, I don't get it, how women are able to talk on the phone for so long. Like, what are they talking about? I just, just she's on the phone for 40 minutes all the time. And that, I mean, she, she's, she's on, I guess, summer vacation. My, I would love to see my average phone call. It's got to be under a minute. Got to be. Now, I, I'll do a 10-minute phone call if it's necessary, but... It's rare. 20 minutes for me and you feels very long. That happens maybe once every six months. The, no, it happens once a week here on this podcast. Wow, true. <laughs> so do you think that that is... So uh, my, my like hedged take here is a lot of this depends on whether we get fiscal or monetary policy during the next time, because if, if the government decides we're not going to spend anything and it's all on you again, the Fed, like it was in 2010s, then we a three percent rate could be in the cards. But if if the government keeps spending and fiscal policy remains a strong tool, and that keeps inflation at three or four percent versus two, one to two percent, then maybe low rates aren't going to happen again. What do you think is more likely? Three percent mortgages or stay at five to six? Eighteen months ago, I would have said three percent mortgage definitely. Now Give me I time think. Well, Cullen says in the next ten years we'll see sub three percent thirty year mortgages. Oh well, here's a take that didn't age well from us. If we're, we were patting ourselves on the back earlier, remember when we said we were just going to keep refinancing? Yes. Every, you know, every, uh, every four years, just take some equity out and make money. 
<laughs> I didn't. Uh, Oof. I I do agree with Cullen that like the the structure of the debt in the economy, like we need we need low rates, and even if even if we're going to keep spending, we're to finance those rates. What would you put your money on? A three percent sub three percent mortgage in the next ten years or no? I I'd, I'd have to lean yes because I agree with Cullen that like even if we're going to spend a lot of money in this country. We need low rates to finance it all. We can't have rates stay five or six percent at the short end. That's that's never going to work. I hear that, but is that? I don't know. I'm not smart enough to talk about this stuff coherently. I, is that is that what moves? Is that what moves interest rates? Just the fact that we need low rates. So what? I need Disney stock to go up. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Yeah, I, I just think that like if 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 our budget just continues to be consumed by interest costs, eventually. That's going to be a problem. And how about going- this? How about this? AI. That will the economy will grow ten to twelve percent a year, so it's all good. Don't worry about it. All right. I don't want to bring up demographics because you don't care about that, so we won't even. You know, what? I don't that. care about. I don't care about this either. No, no, no. It's not that I don't care. It's just I find it. Uh, it's it's mental masturbation. All right. So the potential for like eight percent mortgages in the short term seems like a possibility, but does it even matter to the like when will it matter to the home market? Because this is from Redfin. This is the first time since last August that the average sales to price ratio has surpassed one hundred percent, meaning homes Smart. are selling for higher than they are being listed for now. Oh wow! No, well, it absolutely matters. It matters the first for the time exist- in a year. The first Dude. time in a year, U.S. home price is selling more than it's asking, and. Dude, bro, dude, it matters for the existing home market. It doesn't matter for new construction. Yeah. So this is Lance Lambert. Among the 100 largest markets, only one market, Austin, saw a seasonally adjusted month over month home price decline in May. The other 99 markets all posted an increase. Housing prices are rising again. Crazy. So 7.2% mortgage rates and housing prices continue to rise because supply has been so shrunken down that anything that comes to the market is selling for over asking price. So, okay, here's what here's prices that are rising despite interest rates being at multi-decade highs. Uh, homes, which are directly tied to interest rates, and non-profitable tech, which I thought should be negatively correlated to interest rates, and I still believe that to be the case, but- How about just the stock market in general? Rising? Yeah, but high, but high tech in particular, uh, high beta tech in particular. The IPO ETF is ripping. Uh, ARC is ripping. Oh, wow. ARC is, holy moly. ARC is at the highest level since August 2022. I looked I at know, it the other man. day, though. That, that, that fund is still down 80% from the highs, I think. 80? Wow. Hang on. Oof. Oh, 70. So it's down 70% from the highs still. I guess it was 80 at the, at the bottom. Unbelievable. Hey, Ben, look at this, look at this house. In the dock, we're looking at the modern farmhouse, which the Wall Street Journal says is the millennial answer to the baby boomer McMansion. The house that I'm looking at is, I see Ben smiling because I'm assuming that you see this all over your houses, all over your town as well. It's a white house. No, this is literally my house. Oh, it is? <laughs> no, uh, no, we don't, we don't, we don't have the, we have a, we have a white modern farmhouse. We don't have okay. the, the wooden, uh, the wood in front for the, but we have a, we have the black uh, metal roof. We have the white clapboard, like they say. So, I read so this article t- <laughs> and I realized, oh, they're just literally describing my house. Two thirds of new homes. In I was early, by like the this. way. We bought ours in 2017. I was early. Now listen, this is this is a great <laughs> house. I love it. Uh, okay, modern farmhouse, a contemporary style that bears a passing resemblance to a traditional farmhouse. First entered the American lexicon a decade ago. Okay, sorry, you were not early. On Fixer Upper, the HDTV sensation that catapulted the host Chip and Joanna Gaines onto the national stage. Guess what? You know I don't watch HGTV, but you do, right? So you knew about this. Is that where you found this house? No, I mean the builder was doing it this way, but we uh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, no, we like the we like the. Listen, don't apologize. It's a great house. The National Association of Home Builders. Uh, actually, my, my house. Yeah, I don't know how you could hate on this kind of house. It's no, a it's beautiful, beautiful looking house. It's a, it's a beautiful house. So my house, when I bought it, was just a flat brick house, and I don't like brick. My wife, I had to like twist her arm. Like, who likes brick? It's ugly. I would much prefer it to be in a house like this. It stays good forever, though. You know what? You know what the downside of a white house is? It gets really dirty. We had to have like the pay downside. The pow- that's that's the upside. You get to power wash that baby twice a year. Oh yeah. Well, I I paid someone to do it because it's 
getting up three levels is kind of hard. Uh, well, you were three levels, not to brag. Well, yeah. Well, the basement is, <laughs> yeah, anyway. The National Association of Home Builders does not track the popularity I don't, I don't have a mudroom, though. I do not have a mudroom. <laughs> well, I don't have a basement. Do you have a basement? Yeah, we have a basement. Okay. But Daryl Patterson, the president of Housing Design Matters, uh, says the look accounts for more than a quarter of her company's work. If a builder says, I need three elevations, one will always be a modern farmhouse. Great house. It makes it, it really does make sense. Great house. All right, Ben. Um, last week, when I was telling you about my friend that has all of his money in the stock market in Neo, one thing that I forgot to mention is he was asking me, or, or I don't know, if he was asking or telling me that he opened up accounts for his kids and he, he bought REITs. He just bought REITs for them. I assume not individual names, probably just an index if I had to guess. And he's like, you know, when I give it to them when they're 20, it's going to be whatever, tens of thousands or however much money it is. And I was reminded of that story when I saw a tweet from Peter Lazaroff. And by the way, mind you, this is, a, this is not a dumb guy. He just, is, you know, he just doesn't know. He's not, he's not in finance and he's, I guess, not super interested in, in, in it like our listeners are. Peter Lazaroff said, an advisor adds an unbelievable amount of value in three areas. One, peace of mind. Two, expertise. You cannot know what you do not know. Three, objectivity. Uh, removing unhelpful emotions. And what else would you add? Somebody said execution. And again, seeing this tweet reminded me of that story from last week with this guy, because I think the average person, if you don't know, you don't know. And when I said all this guy's money that's in the stock market is in Neo, it's, I doubt it. I doubt it's all of his money. It's just, he probably has all of his money in cash and high yield savings or whatever. And the money that he plays with the stock market, he just has in this stock. Like just people just don't know the basics. Right. And the execution part is actually like the, the thing is like, there's, there's probably 35 different financial plans you could create for someone or allocations or like different levers you could pull that they would probably be fine in most instances. But it's, it's, it's like narrowing down to this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to execute it. Like that's, that's the hard part for most people is, is like the, the choices they have. They're just execution. like- Paralyzed Execution by choice. So just huge. saying like, listen, this is the one we're going to do. We're not going to know what the perfect one is going to be um, until we have hindsight to look back on. So this is the one we're going to do and we're going to be happy with it because we've taken all these different factors into account and this is the way we're going to do it. Are you on board of this? And most people just tell us like, yes, I just appreciate having this plan in place and I know what we're going to do regardless of what happens in the market because no one can predict what's going to happen in the market. I could hear some listeners screaming, well, this is why we should teach personal finance in schools. I think like the psychological like component is the biggest one. If, if I went back to, you know, I studied finance in college. If I would have had to do it all over again, I would have, like, I would have taken a bunch of psychology classes to understand the human nature side of things. Cause that right, is what's so, that going to do? It's, it's so much more important. Don't you think like learning that stuff was, no. I don't think, I don't think learning about behavioral finance is more important than learning the basics. You don't need to be a you don't need to I'm be a behavioral as finance an, as expert an, to as to, an advisor that you need to understand. I think for almost any job you're in, you have to understand human nature. It doesn't matter if it's finance or anything else. I think understanding human nature and the things that make people tick and the incentives and all that stuff and why people react the way they do to certain things, I think understanding that is helpful in any job you do. True. Yeah, agree agree there. Um all right, let's talk about Twitter. So threads to me feels like the first actual threat to Twitter. Um, they, they, they had a hundred million signups in five days and I am not threading yet. Maybe I will, maybe I won't probably won't. I don't really, I don't tweet anymore, but opening threads was kind of wild because it was Twitter. It looked like Twitter. Everybody was there. It's the first one that has, cause people have been telling us for a while, there's a guy we work with. I won't name his name, name him by name, but he always tells us, Hey, you guys have to sign up for Mastodon and blue sky and post. And every time I've been like, why, why do I, there's no way yeah, these no, are, no. there's no way these are ever going to work. And sorry, Josh, I didn't mean to out <laughs> you there, <laughs> no. but he, I think he's wanted a new thing. And this is the first one that feel like, oh, this is real people actually going over. And you open it up and I, I've tried it a little bit and it does feel like Twitter has, Twitter's not dead. I think, tw I think both of these can probably coexist, but Twitter has peaked. Did you, did you read this Eugene Way piece about how to blow up a timeline? He talked about how Twitter has, has peaked. And, and totally changed and gotten worse. 
And I don't really buy into the fact that Twitter's gotten worse. I think people are just kind oh of fed God, up with it. Oh my God, it has. Of course it has. Well, the, the changes they've made have certainly made it worse. And it, but it was, it, it, Twitter was better like pre like 2018 or something. Remember well, like the, the mid 2010s were like peak Twitter for us. It peaked a while ago, but in terms of the community and, and just being a fun, vibrant place, but just the user experience has gotten shitty. And I still, even though I am not posting on Twitter, um, I still use it. Eh, almost as much as I ever have. News just consumption, for, right? Just, just for content purposes and filling up the doc for this podcast. But I do want to read something that Eugene Way wrote. He said, this past year, for the first time, I could see the end of the road for Twitter. Not in an abstract way. I felt its decline. Don't misunderstand me. Twitter will persist in a deteriorated state, perhaps indefinitely. However, it's already a pale shadow of what it was at its peak. The cool kids are no longer sitting over in bottle service, knocking out banger tweets. Instead, the timeline is filled with more and more strangers. The bouncer let in to shill their tweet storms. Many of them Twitter verified accounts who paid the grand fee of $8 a month for the privilege. In the past year, so many random meetings I have with one-time Twitter junkies being with a long sigh and then a question of a question that is more lamentation than anything else. How did Twitter get so bad? Well, the crazy thing to me is the fact that remember in Rocky Four when the Russian gets cut? And they're in the corner, they're like, he's bleeding, he's cut. And like, Rocky sees his opportunity. Like, this is what happened. Like, I don't think, it sounds to me like Facebook put this together in like a matter of months for threads. Like, they didn't want to release it, but they saw Elon Musk's clown car over here, like messing things up and, and not letting people see a number of tweets if they don't pay money and all this stuff. And they like, I think they just took an opportunity that they probably didn't even want to. And it it probably worked out better than their most wild dream. So I think Elon Musk basically allowed this to happen, which is just crazy to me that like it, it deteriorated this much this fast. And Elon is, is, is definitely feeling the pressure. He's flailing like a maniac. He tweeted somebody Zuck as a cuck. I propose a literal dick measuring contest. Those are things that he actually tweeted. And then he, I don't know if this is like, if they're suing Twitter, but, uh, Dear, here's a letter. Dear Mr. Zuckerberg, I write on behalf of X Corp as successor and in interest to Twitter. Based on recent reports regarding your recently launched Threads app, Twitter's serious concerns that Meta has engaged in a systematic, willful, and unlawful misappropriation of Twitter's trade secrets. Over the past year, Meta has hired dozens of four Twitter, whatever. Yeah, you fired everybody. What do you expect? But here's the thing. So Zuckerberg said. The vision for Threads is to create an open and friendly public space for conversation. We hope to take what Instagram does best and create a new experience around text, ideas, and discussing what's on your mind. So they're not going to copy Twitter exactly. Like, I, I already think Threads looks better than Twitter. It's a it's a really cool experience. But do you think you can do Instagram for for text? Like, can you, can you have that? Obviously, 100 million people signed up. But I don't know. What does Instagram have? Two or three billion users? Like, do you think that, that it's viable to have Instagram for text and Twitter over here to do this other stuff that you really pay attention to for sporting events and live stuff and news consumption? Uh, like, is it is it possible to have both? I think it probably... Oh, yeah, like, why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, those Josh, in, the, pe the people on Instagram, like, they obviously either tried Twitter or never tried it and just have no use for it because they the users have not been growing for years. So to that point, Twitter is not adding new users. Like, a 15-year-old is not signing up for a Twitter account. Why Why in the world would they? All right. But is it, is it also bizarre that Elon Musk has screwed this up so royally that now people are like looking at Zuckerberg like he's a savior? Do we really want Facebook and Instagram and Instagram for Twitter to be run by the same person? Remember, remember a few years ago when everyone said Mark Zuckerberg like ended democracy because he helped rig the election in 2016? Those same people are like, yay, Threads is awesome. I can't believe this is happening. That people are allowing, like, allowing one company to potentially take over the three biggest social media platforms, other than TikTok. People are okay with this. I'm, I, I'm shocked by that. Uh, I, I yeah, guess it's, it, all, it's all relative because people hate Elon Musk enough to like Mark Zuckerberg again. I, I just can't believe this is where we've gotten. Eugene Way made another great point about just why nobody copied Twitter because it was just such a bad business model. Right. Um, here, here's another clip of his that I wanted to read. Of all the social networks that achieved some level of scale in this first era of social media, perhaps no other was trodden and abandoned by as many users as Twitter. Except for the extremely online community of which I'm deeply embedded, most normal, well-adjusted humans churned out of Twitter long ago. That is so true. I don't think I have, and I don't know anybody who's on Twitter. No, like your regular, normal people that you interact with? I mean, yeah, there's a few that for sports, but for the most part, Nobody's on Twitter. It's only us. It's only yes. finance dorks. And 
econ nerds and people that are arguing over politics and, and really and, online people. Yeah, it's really on. So, all right, you, we spoke earlier about billionaires and uh, I don't know what you said. I forget what we said about them. Also, does it, oh, does it make us feel better that billionaires can make mistakes? Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I, I just, um, I never, I never got into any social media networks beyond Twitter. Twitter's always been my only one. I signed up for Instagram a few years ago. I think a bunch of people told me that I already have some fake thread people. I think my handle is like Ben Carlson 007. And I didn't do that because I like James Bond. I think it was like the only number that was a bit, one of the lowest numbers that was available. Uh, so if why you can't you just say, why can't you just say you like James Bond? 007 was the only number you could land upon. Come on. I think okay. they, they I recommend like James Bond it. too. No, I don't like James. I, I, I'm, I'm of the uh, opinion that <laughs> Jason Bourne is better than James Bond. That's my hot take. If you I didn't think, like James Bond, you would change it to 006. Okay. I, I, I think seven minute abs. <laughs> uh, but well, where was I going with this? I, I just, I I've know. never got into, I, I think it's a kind of a chore to get into another social. Like I never got into TikTok. I didn't like Facebook because I didn't really care about my friends posting about their lives every day. I figured I'd catch up with them when I catch up with them because, you know, nostalgia is the best part of old friendships, not like knowing what's going on in your life now. And so this is the first time that I've actually tried a new social media. Like Instagram just never took for me. It was never like, I, I always felt weird posting pictures and captioning I love them. It. I love Instagram. Okay. It just, it never took for me. It wasn't like I, I understand it, but it just never took for me. This is, I think but this wait, one. But wait, but where do you shop? <laughs> uh, okay. So back to Twitter and the business, by the way, where were, where were, if, if Twitter was a publicly traded stock, so he bought it for 44 billion. Where's the market cap? Six? 10. Realistically, realistically yeah. 10. 10. Um, uh, Andreessen said this to Elon when he was considering, when he wanted to buy it. I think this is from leaked uh, private messages. If you are uh, Mark Andreessen to Elon Musk, if you are considering equity partners, my growth fund is in for $250 million with no additional work required. They ended up giving $400 million. Now, I don't think that this makes, in fact, this does not make Mark Andreessen a dumb guy. Mark Andreessen is not a dumb guy. With the benefit of hindsight, this might look dumb, but he's a very smart man. In fact, incredibly so. Uh, Sequoia invested $800 million. Cutter Investment Authority, $375 million. Prince Awalid bin Talal Al Saud owned $2 billion worth of Twitter stock. When it was a publicly traded company, he rolled it over. Larry Ellison forked over a billion dollars. Jack Dorsey, a billion dollars from his existing shares. Morgan Stanley, Bank of America, and Barclays collectively lent $13 billion. Anyway, I, I give all those numbers to say all of those numbers are down well in excess of 50%. I don't know where, what the value is of Twitter, but they have to assume that they're that this is a permanent write-down. During a time when stock when tech stocks have been uh going crazy. Eh, not all tech stocks. I mean a lot of well, a lot Nike of cap. If yeah. put, put it this I mean Twitter. Had this never happened, let's assume that Jack Dorsey was still at the helm or whoever I know, was on I Twitter. I still think Jack Dorsey is a lot of blame here too because he never oh, did totally. anything to they make the product anything. better. He, he did anything. a horrible job. Horrible. Didn't monetize it. Horrible. So anyway, but but let's just say that Elon never bought Twitter. So if so if, if Twitter was a publicly traded stock today with Elon at the helm, I'm saying it's sub $10 billion. If he never took over, guess what? It still might be $10 billion or $15 15 billion. or 20 yeah. Probably not 20 I think that's what it was. So- it's not, yeah, I mean, tough, not a good business. Not a good business. All right, Danny Meyer on tipping. If you're just taking out food and it was just a transaction, I give you money, you give me a cup of coffee, I don't think there's any obligation to tip whatsoever. Do you tip on takeout? I do. I usually give a few bucks. And I think I've been tipping more since the pandemic for that, If they, for them like getting it ready. How about you? I think I do. No, in fact, I know I do. I give a few dollars, depending on the order. I give a few bucks. But I'm... So at the, at the beach club, I tip the, the, uh, Valley Parkers pretty well. Cause you know, I used to be in the industry, not just the hospitality industry. We don't need to go into that, but I was an actual Valley Parker for the company that parks at my beach. Guess what? I got fired from the job. We don't need to get into that right now. <laughs> okay. But the, so I always give at least $5 depending on the bills that I have available. Some, usually I give 10 if I have a 10. So I gave the guy, this is on July 4th, and it was it was late-ish. It was probably 8 o'clock. So I gave the guy a 20. I asked for $10 back. He did not give me $10 back. What do you think I did? What? What do you mean? Let him have it? No, I gave him a 20, and I asked for $10 and change. He didn't give me $10. I guess he probably didn't hear me. What do you think I did? Complain to the manager? <laughs> I don't know what. 
Nothing. Let him have it. Yeah, let him have it. Okay. I kept like, uh, I asked, well, I guess I could have said I asked him, but you yeah, know, guy, he worked, guy, he, guy was working he worked hard. Fourth. And guess what? He Now he knows me. Okay. There you go. Uh, you know what I watched over the weekend? Why also, I that watch? used to be that that used to be my so we had a bar we went to in college, and like right when happy hour started, everyone would rush to the bar. Like happy hour was like four to six. And what me and my friend would do is we would show up at 3:30 and have a beer, a leisurely beer, and then tip the bartender really well. So that when happy hour started, they would come take our order first. Smart man. Hmm? <laughs> so Amazon Studios is in trouble. They're putting out, they're spending a lot of money and they're not really getting much to show for it. Uh, well, what's it called? The, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings. Huge flop. Yeah, Horrendous. Unwatchable. Bloomberg did a story. In the past nine months, Amazon has released at least half a dozen pricey series that failed to deliver huge audiences. Daisy Jones and the Six, which I, I like loved. that one. I like that one. I liked it a lot. Uh, the Power, I don't know what that is. Dead Ringers and Peripheral. Guess what? I never heard of any of those. They all cost over $100 million, Oof, but failed to crack the top 10 list for Nielsen's. Rings of Power, $400 million. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Failed to hold on to most of its viewers. Uh, okay. Uh, so there's a chart. Dead Global- Ringers has a 7.5, and it's with Rachel Wise. I'd try that. I love Rachel Wise. Dead Ringers. Have you ever heard of this? Mm-mm. Ooh, Jeremy Irons. Doesn't look bad. Ellie, Jeremy Irons is a successful gynecologist, works at the same practice as identical twin Beverly, who's also played by Jeremy Irons. Okay. Elliot is attracted to many of his patients and has affairs with them. When he inevitably loses interest, he will give the woman over to Beverly, the meeker of the two, without the woman knowing the difference. See, this is a... Beverly falls hard for one of the patients, but when she inadvertently deceives him, he slips into a state of madness. Oh, wait a minute. This is from 1988. That's a David Cronenberg movie. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Uh, You lost me. All right, moving on. No, wait, hang on. That was funny. I just read a a premise of a movie from 1988. Dead Ringers Prime. What is this? It's a twin gynecologist. Oh, it's a remake. Oh, must be. Okay. (laughs) Uh, That's kind of funny. Anyhow, I watched watched, uh, The Terminalist over the last week. Thoughts? Did you watch it? I like that one. Chris Pratt. All right, here's my thought. I like Chris Pratt as a leading man. Should have been, should have been six episodes, maybe even five. Agree. It was a little too long. A lot of fat, a lot of fat there, but yeah, I liked it. Uh, Global platform demand share for all streaming originals. Netflix is still a king, 38%. Prime is next, 10.8%. So, I mean, I still love the platform. It's just the original stuff is not, not doing so well. If Prime Video were publicly traded streaming service stock, be in the toilet, right? Yes, I agree. They're, they're lucky they have other. But the, that's the problem with these these big ones that spend a ton of money. If they're not seeing returns, if they back out, then where's where is the investment in good entertainment going to come from? If Apple and Amazon back out now, we're screwed. Oh, just got a heads up from Nicole, our social media manager. Animal Spirits Tropical Bros shirts are back in stock as of Boom. now. Boom! Huge news. We sold out earlier. They're back in stock as of today. If you missed it the last time, we got all sizes back. Get your shirt now. All right. Uh, All right. I think this is the worst movie year ever. This is the top-rated movie so far from IMDb. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. You know the thing that really irks me about Spider-Man fans? Literally every time a new Spider-Man movie comes out, and there's been probably 12 of them, they go, this, the, the, the tagline will be, this is the greatest Spider-Man movie ever made. For every one of them that says that. That's just not true. It can't be, right? Okay, no, no, no. Go. No, no. I'm a Spider-Man fan, and the Spider-Man movies have been phenomenal. <sighs> Come on. Phenomenal? Very fun. I mean, it's a superhero movie. It's a lot of fun. The Tom the Holland one movies where they had, great. The one where they had Spider- all the Spider-Man. The Spider-Verse was, is great. The, the, yeah, all I, the Spider-Man. The Spider-Verse ones, Con. That's I, the I do, kids. Hang on. Time out. The Spider, the, the most recent one with Tom Holland and Andrew Garfield and Toby, I agree, was a little too much. But the Spider-Verse movies are not just for little kids. Yes, they are for little kids, but they're also for grown-ups. They're great movies. I haven't seen the second one yet, but... Nerds. All right. Guardians of the Galaxy, John Wick 4, Covenant, Air is... The only one on here that I think is a, is a quality movie is Air. A Man Called Otto... Hang on, Otto. hang on, hang on, hang on. Time out. The Covenant is supposed to be very good. I have not seen it yet. I'm going to. Guy Rich... What, why are you rolling your eyes? You know what it is? Oh, which one is that? Not a, it's not a horror movie. It's the Jake oh, it Gyllenhaal... Like a horror movie. 
No, it's Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. I think Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a. Uh, it's it's an army movie with Guy Ritchie as a director. Oh, okay. Tetris, Dungeons and Dragons, The Flash, and Missing. I think Air is the only one on here that I've seen his quality. I think this is maybe the worst movie year ever for modern movies. First half was terrible. I did see the Napoleon preview. Looks maybe sick. We'll, it looks that looks awesome. I'll, here's what's I'll, on the back. Here, here's what's on the back half. So it's this is a second half story. We've got Dune Part Two, Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer. I'm reading Barbie. Killers of the Flower Moon right now. The book. I'm reading the book. I read good. it when it came out. When, not to brag. Uh, Mission Impossible and Napoleon. That's that's a pretty good back half. I'll go see Mission Impossible at the theater. Maybe Napoleon. I'm 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 sorry. I'm I'm totally anti Barbie. I'm I'm sick of it. Shoving the pink stuff down my throat. It looks I'm not so seeing, dumb. I'm not gonna. Well, but are you not see Oppenheimer? Well, I'll see Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer looks good. So okay. that, th- those I are agree. some decent movies coming back, but it's it's pretty pretty bad. All right, recommendations. Okay, uh, Eric Davis tweeted: It's super rare for a movie franchise to have four installments rank in the '90s in Rotten Tomatoes. Toy Story has done it for animation. Spider-Man and the MCU have done it, but with multiple series, 007 has done it. Oh, 007, there you go. Uh, Mission Impossible, out here making history. You know what the weird, the weird thing is? My take on Mission, I love Mission Impossible movies. The first two movies were the worst ones in the franchise. Like, the first one is almost impossible to follow. I love the story. It's, it's not that, I, the second one wasn't like, I think the first two were the worst ones of all. The last few have been awesome. Amazing, right, okay. Uh, I want to plug something called Mint Comedy. That's mintcomedy.com. What is Mint Comedy? A dad friend in the neighborhood told me about it. You can stream live comedy from the comedy cellar. How freaking cool is that? Oh, really? Interesting. How awesome. So I'm going on Thursday. $8.99 a month. Isn't that awesome? Not bad. I'm seeing Dan Naderman, who I love. Colin Quinn, Keith Robinson, and Andrew Schultz. Didn't you see Colin Quinn with me that one time? He was awesome. Yeah, I feel like he's always there. I've seen him a lot. But it's not a great good. lineup. It's not bad. I like All right, that so mint, mint comedy if you're a comedy fan. All right, I forgot to mention this the other week. I saw this on the airplane. When I saw the trailer for 65, the Adam Driver movie with dinosaurs, I was like, I'm in. In fact, I'm all in. Guess what? I heard it was terrible. Probably the worst movie I've seen in the last 10 years. Really? That bad? Um... Just thoroughly, thoroughly unwatchable. Top to bottom. I don't know. I don't know what happened. It was very odd. Uh, they're doing courtroom drama month on the rewatchables, which is, I don't know, it's my favorite genre, but it's it's got to be one of the best genres, right? Yes, I love, I, it's kind of sad that there are no good courtroom movies anymore. So they did Primal Fear first, which I was thinking, that's a really, that was a, not a great, weird name for a movie. I don't even know what that means. I saw Primal Fear when it came out. I was 11 years old and still remember the feeling of seeing Ed Norton clap at the end. No spoilers. But if you're a young listener- It's a little late for a spoiler, but yeah. Well, it's, it's a little late, but I'm being generous. If, if you haven't seen Primal Fear, stop everything. In fact, press pause right now. Go watch it and come back. It was easier to do a twist back then. Uh, and then the next one, which also is a classic, uh, A Time to Kill. God, what a movie. Yeah. See- we need more John. Grisham also 96. Life. Also 96. Okay. I Someone actually emailed us and said, watch The Drop. It's on HBO Max. It's with the Tom drop? Hardy. I watched it when it came out in 2014. Tom Hardy and James Gandolfini. And one of my favorite tropes from a gangster movie is the guy at the bar who is kind of around all the gangsters, but he's kind of quiet, maybe a little slow, but you know, like in the back of it, like he's seen some stuff. This is a and Tom Hardy is that guy. It's a it's a it's kind of a slow burn, but the end is very very good and uh, really good like kind of like minor gangster movie. I don't think I've ever heard of this. You know who's a big time that guy? I'm just looking at the cast. Uh, John Ortiz. Yeah, he plays the detective in it. He's he's good. And finally, Uncle Buck is on Netflix, and I turned on the first half of it with my wife through the night. And there's a difference between I think one of the biggest internet misconceptions is the difference between this is the best thing ever or this is my favorite thing. And Uncle Buck is not one of the best movies ever. It is easily one of my favorite movies ever because I'm a huge John Candy fan. Macaulay Culkin. And you, saw, and, you saw, and you saw it when you were nine. But there are so many iconic scenes and lines in this movie that still hold up. Here's the thing. It came out in 1989. John Candy was 39 years old. I'm going to be 41 next month. I, I, need to, I need like a definitive like 10-page magazine article on why people used to look so much older than they do now. 
There's no way that I, I right now, I'm older than John Candy was in Uncle Buck, but I am. People these days look so much younger than people did in the past. How is that possible? I don't know if I've ever seen Uncle Buck. I feel like I must have, but I can't tell you anything about it. Okay, I, I don't want you to watch it because you're going to ruin it for me by saying that you didn't like it. <laughs> so just don't watch it, please. It's it's just... It's, you don't want me to... It's 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 sacrosanct? It's did one just, of my favorite that, John Hughes movies ever. I just, I, I love, love, love that movie. I think John Candy is so good and he, he's just, he's the best. Oh my so. God, I nailed it. Sacrosanct means regard as too important or valuable to be interfered with. You know what? Out of respect. Thank you. I won't watch it. Leave it alone. <laughs> Can I watch The Great Outdoors? Yes, I love, oh, that's a great idea for the summer. I love The Great Outdoors. All right, uh, remember, Tropical Bros is back. Tropical Bros, look for Animal Spirits collection on there. I think it, it, the other collections they have are USA, like you're wearing, and then Natty Light, so we're in good company. Uh, email us, animalspiritspod at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>